Today's episode is called How to Be Free, which is a big statement, but I really mean it, and I feel very much in the mood to be able to define that this week for a few reasons. But today I was in my apartment, and I was like, if I could sum up how to be free in one sentence, what would I say? And what came to me was how to be free. Never put your value in the hands of of anyone or anything else. And I was like, damn, like it really clicked for me because... When you think of the word free, you also think of like an object being free, like free water bottles, free, you know, when Sephora gives you a lip gloss when you leave, like free lip gloss. Um, And it made me think about how that can also be a metaphor for money, where when we think about worth and value, it's a, you know, set up exchange between two people. It's like, you give me this, I give you this. And to be free is not to have that exchange, which means essentially to not have the system in the first place of something costing anything or having to offer anything and sort of be judged for it by the other party of how much it's worth, or even just deal with literally any other other person's hand or um, perception on you you're just free (laughs) you are free you don't cost anything and nobody has placed a value on you and we think about how things are um, appraised (laughs) you know whether that's fine art or um, you know a bottle of Evian and sometimes these decisions about how much things are worth are completely arbitrary and somewhat made up because everyone wants to make as much profit as they can. So I went on a rant about this recently in one of these episodes, but I always think about sunglasses and I'll just sum that up again. But I had a friend who had a sunglass company and he said, sunglasses are so cheap to make, the frames are plastic, so it's a few cents to make the plastic. And the only thing you can decide to put more money into is the lenses but basic lenses are also a few cents and a lot of places are just doing basic lenses and then if you want to take it up notch maybe a few dollars but the thing about sunglasses is they go from like 80 to like 300 dollars to like thousands no matter where you go whether you're at the tom's shoes store i remember they had so many sunglasses in the tom's shoes store that doesn't exist anymore um or made well i remember getting 60 dollars sunglasses at made well and realizing damn these really are you know there's nothing special about these lenses I'm, I'm sure this was 10 cents to make um after finding out about that fact and then we have places like prada who still plastic sunglasses <laughs> they're still plastic but they're you know thousand dollars So it's just good to remember that. I think when we think about being free in terms of the feeling of freedom, of not feeling like anyone has an influence on how free you're allowed to feel or stopping you, stopping you from expressing yourself, stopping you from feeling safe to express yourself, be yourself. And when I say express yourself and be yourself, I don't just mean kind of those you know, moments of, you know, those higher euphoric moments of, oh, I'm able to dance (laughs) in front of a crowd or I can get on stage and not stutter or I can say how I really feel, like not just the big stuff, but even just existing day to day, like being free to just have a shitty week where you order too much takeout and like, you know, don't stretch and like not hate yourself after or just, you know, be you know, get some strange illness or disease or rash and not feel like 
the world is ending. Like freedom isn't just, you know, those glorified <laughs> um, dancing, journaling uh, type energy, but just like to just the freedom to be comfortable, like just the freedom to be human, to to let yourself keep moving. It's always about keeping moving, you know? And like, again, keeping moving doesn't mean dancing and skipping, keeping moving always. Sometimes it just means moving through a shitty fucking feeling or a low week or some bad decisions and not hating yourself for it or not stopping yourself and just being like, okay, we're moving through it. And that's the only way to do anything, right? The only way out is through. (laughs) So when I think of freedom, I just think of just the things in life that keep us from being weighed down so that we can't move forward, whether that's physical or mental, you know, attachments, attachments to impressing certain people or certain cultural narratives, um, the little scams (laughs) that are always kind of coming at us, whether that's through the internet, um, of just what we should wear and who we should be. And they're just kind of these micro traps that don't really serve us in the end. And I feel like I really got a crash course in how to be free because I grew up in a city whose value system was all about things that I didn't have, right? So I'll start with that. I think when people hear me talking about freedom, they're like, oh, well, of course, you get to just kind of, you know, post stuff online and, um, you know, have less responsibilities than the average person. But the thing about this is like, I've never not felt this way, at least for half the month or the majority of the month of just this like great feeling of freedom. I felt this way when I was living in the living room of a shared apartment, working a shitty retail job for five years. I felt it when I would take the bus for an hour to work in the morning, the city bus. And it's like freedom is not, you know, of course there's like such joy in living a life where you have this freedom and can kind of like be in your house and choose where you want to go. Um, but freedom is so much bigger than that. (laughs) It's so much bigger than that. And I just feel like I've learned so much how to feel free, even in, in worlds that don't feel free at all, you know, going on the bus to work for a whole hour through the city. And like, you know, that sounds like hell, but to me, I was like, wow, like this is just such a place where I get to just listen to my music and look out the window and just be free. Like there's, I have nothing to do, you know, and it's just how we frame things. And for me, I think it was a survival tactic when I was younger. And I'll get into that more of just having everyone around me value things that I couldn't have. Um, and the freedom that comes from being like, that's just an opinion, (laughs) you know? So I'll get into that. So I want to repeat what I said earlier, how to be free, never put your value in the hands of anyone or anything else. That is my definition of how to be free, perceptively free, which to me translates into material freedom as well, because it puts you in a flow (laughs) and flow gives you everything. Right. Um, so I feel like I got a crash course in this because I grew up in a family that had nothing that was valuable to like the zeitgeist of Los Angeles, right? What gave you worth in Los Angeles? Having a great new car, like having the great new cool car. That's such an LA thing. What did we had? We had a used Dodge sedan and like a weird gold with fabric seats. You know what I mean? Um, great house with a yard. Of course, when you're a kid, we were in an old apartment building, two bedroom, shared a room with my sister, no yard attached to that building, (laughs) no rec room, nothing, just in there, out of there. (laughs) Um, 
cultural relevance, awareness of high art and literature, being really educated. This is something really valued in LA is, you know, knowing your references, like, you know, knowing about what's up at the museums and just, you know, decorating your house in a way, having stacks of books, you know, looking like, you know, what's up. My parents didn't have any of that. They have no, um, I always say their apartment kind of reminds me of a storage room in a way, <laughs> you know, there's a recliner with a blanket over it. There's stacks of stuff everywhere. It's a very like functional space. You know, they're not trying to, you know, lead with design or like put great art up on the walls. You know, like my mom will just put up any painting I do cause it's a painting, you know, so they don't have that like yeah, that like, you know, obsession with seeming, you know, cultural, which is funny because technically they are more cultural because they're not from the U.S., you know, dad's Brazilian, mom's Austrian with a absentee Mexican father. And, you know, so it's like they have that, but they never had like the L.A. version of that, you know, where they're like, you know, care about that kind of stuff. Um, having a strong network, that's a huge thing of value in LA. Who do you know? What are you getting invited to? Oh, you're friends with that filmmaker. You recognize someone on the credits list. You know, that's so LA. My parents, they were just friends with other weird immigrants from work. <laughs> you know, my mom worked at Supercuts for a while. Her best friend was this crazy ass lady who was like Russian, who was literally crazy. I was like, I feel like they were just friends. So my mom could be like, tell us stories about how crazy she was. She was a trip. My dad held all these kind of deadbeat Brazilian single friends you know he was like the only one who like settled down with a woman in his friend group everyone else was like kind of gnarly always had a new girlfriend always moving around always borrowing money from him you know um but they just had like funky friends and they weren't very social people so I never you know I was never it was never like my parents have a network <laughs> my parents are connected oh we're going to some event now it was like Liliana from work you know, gave us this like weird cake for Christmas and it's from Russia or something, you know, it's just like random shit. And then money, no money, <laughs> you know, my parents still are on government assistance. They weren't, yeah, we always ate at home. We didn't go to restaurants. There was no kind of, you know, flashy LA money vibes in my house. Clothing was huge growing up. You know, everyone wanted to be an Abercrombie or so specifically, on the west side there was a store called ron herman it was ron herman fred siegel and a place called rag tattoo oh my god i can't believe i remember it rag tattoo and it was a boutique that had all this crazy tie-dye bedazzled stuff and we, when you were a kid if you wanted to be cool true religion jeans uh ron herman or fred siegel graphic tees or some kind of uh rib tank with bedazzled peace sign on it from rag tattoo um all of it or Paul Frank sometimes true real Paul Frank um so you never had that stuff we would go to the thrift store every once in a while and just hope for something um hand-me-downs the best clothes I ever had were from Mileli and Gina who are both single women that my mom was friends with Mileli was Brazilian Gina was from Germany and they were just like single women who uh, had dis, uh, what is it disposable income and would go to boutique shopping all the time and when they would give clothes away instead of giving them to goodwill they would give them to my mom and my mom and I would go through the bags and some of my best stuff came from that I still have my favorite uh my favorite turtleneck <laughs> was from Mileli I still wear it all the time and it was just cool boutique stuff it also uh, kind of helped me understand how important cotton and linen <laughs> and quality clothes are um, so that is one thing. Didn't have best clothes. Um, 
And also, you know, I think this is goes for a lot of us, not just LA, but our generation in the 2000s was obsessed with college. College was such, it was uplifted to just such a high standard of like value and worth. And there was this narrative going around that if you didn't go to college, you were a total loser. And it was just kind of, it was very, you know, I don't like to use the word tone deaf because I'm like, there's so many tones out there. How could you be deaf to the one tone? (laughs) But in this case, it was just kind of rude to sort of put that on people when college was so expensive and not just expensive to go, but expensive to have the ability to even be let in or uh, the resources to be let in. And obviously, I didn't know this until later. But it was pretty fucking rude, you know, to tell all these kids, you know, you're a loser if you don't go to college, you better try really fucking hard, all while knowing that the people who are going to be able to go and have a really good experience and even, you know, people who go to college and just totally fuck off but paid enough and, you know, don't even care could go, you know, it was a bit mean. But that was a big thing in value. Neither of my parents went to college. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to pay for it unless I really took out a bunch of loans and dedicated my whole life to going to college so that was always a thing but my high school especially pally motherfucking high palisades high school um what's his name went there the guy who made jurassic park and lost went there he's our famous alumni and then will i am from the black eyed peas um some models and shit but anyways the thing about my school though was it was up in the palisades which is a very affluent kind of retired area in la it's like on the cliffs overlooking the ocean but it was a public school it was LAUSD, which means that it was still we had kids bust in from all over the city so it was really diverse but it was the public school i always said it was the public school that rich parents would put their kids in if they wanted them to have a more worldly experience because private schools are extremely white and just the same networks of people and really small and if you were like a rich parent and you didn't want to put your kid in like a shitty school you wanted them to be at a good school that was still like on track to college but also had diversity you would pick pally and my dad would drive us out to pally 40 minutes away 30 minutes 30 40 minutes depending on traffic, (laughs) uh, every morning so that I could go to a better school than the one that was near my house. The one that was near my house was um, the school you'd get into after you've been kicked out three times from other schools. It was very, like, gang-affiliated and stuff. And I'm kind of glad that they did that because I'm a very impressionable person and I probably would have become some, like, chola girlfriend. Like, I, you know what I mean? And my school was, like, I got into kind of, like, the light, that light kind of vibe, but... At Pally, it was very simulated. It it wasn't weighted like it would have been at another school, you know. So happy they did that. But all this to say, I was in an environment that was, like, completely against everything that I had. It was like, this is all everything. This is all the good stuff. This is all the valuable stuff. This is all the cool stuff. And, like, you know. And speaking of my definition of what freedom is, it was like I had to become comfortable with the fact that what was valuable and worthy in a person or so I was told in the LA zeitgeist (laughs) I didn't have but I was also lucky because my parents weren't drinking the Kool-Aid either um so speaking of freedom I think there is a lot of freedom to be had in placing your not your worth, but your trust maybe in spirituality. And this is why people, you know, I don't hate on people who say like find God or who find that God is above everything because it's also really good for you, (laughs) you know, 
going through life where people are constantly throwing opinions and criticisms and selling you things to say, well, only God can judge me. Or, you know, it's like another way that you could say only the universe has me. Only I have an, my own language with the universe and that is all that matters. It's really powerful stuff. And I had that in my household, but not in a Christian or Catholic way, just in a purely like spiritual spiritualist way my dad put spirituality over everything and there was always a spiritual reason for things and it was a way to transcend the material environment and I always say spirituality is all about transcendence any form of spirituality is about transcendence whether it's you know, the type of spirituality that's about breathing techniques and taking cold showers. It's like you're transcending stress, anxiety, you're transcending like your autopilot mode, you know, or if it's the type of spirituality that's about chanting until you hallucinate, it's like you're transcending physical reality, you know, transcendental meditation, literally in the name. Um, or, you know, in my dad's case, like just transcending the circumstances, you know, if you don't feel safe, because you don't have a financial net, well, you know, what a great opportunity to talk about how our ancestors are always watching us and your grandma who passed away is still taking care of you and, uh, you know, sprinkling some salt on your windowsill is just a great way to keep out the evil spirits. So, like it, it makes up for the lack of material safety. And I remember this person going out on a rant that said spirituality is only accessible for rich people these days as if spirituality is going to a yoga class and drinking a green juice. And I was like, you couldn't be more wrong. And I can, I can totally tell where that perspective is coming from. It was coming from like a wealthy, you know, white person. I was like, it's coming from that like, quote unquote, white savior complex because anyone who grew up in, especially an immigrant, immigrant family or an underprivileged family, underprivileged family knows that spirituality is so big in those households because it's not only a sweet fun thing if anything it has a function it has a function for safety for transcending reality for having hope for having you know if you grow up with nothing you know what I mean and everyone says oh you didn't go to college you're gonna be nothing oh you don't have any network you're gonna be nothing right and then you think no I'm not I'm not that, you know, what I have, what I have is my spiritual belief that either God has me or the universe has me and that I am more than material. There's this spiritual aspect of me that nobody can take away that I can explore and experiment with and it'll always transcend reality. Like that is power, you know, and I truly think, yeah, yeah, spirituality is, is huge in poor communities and it's a, it's a way more vital strain <laughs> you know what I mean like where does witchcraft come from you know you think it was like rich people they didn't need stuff they they already felt blessed and in control you know it's like where did witchcraft come from you know it came from some weird old lady like s stealing some herbs and you know poking some stuff like you know it's very interesting but speaking of that I think having that presence in the house having a dad who was very spiritual and who I never heard him say oh, I wish I had that car, I wish I had that house, or I feel like a loser, you know, his, the way he saw the world was like, wow, I just had this crazy dream where I spoke to your grandma, and like, it's so beautiful, or my dad was so obsessed with family, you know, and so the values from him that I took on, I was like, all right, you know, maybe we don't have a big yard or a big car, but like, you know, I saw ghosts last night, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, I feel protect. my dad told me that I'm, you know, protected, like, 
I had this like value for this invisible, this invisible world that he gave me. Right. And so I was able to transcend this thing and I never actually felt too bad. You know, of course there were times of social pressure where I really wished, you know, I was cool or liked, but it was never too bad. You know what I mean? Cause I would go home and it was this like pocket of just, you know, a different type of worth, right. That was not in the hands of my, you know, beautiful Abercrombie wearing peers, you know, or my friend's beautiful yard with her trampoline. Like it was like bigger than that in my house. To me, that is why I was able to feel freedom because life was not, my worth system was not based in what I was told it was supposed to be about. Right. And this is something that we always have to to work on. I'm consistently working on it because as I go through life, there's always a new worth system, right? There's a new social group where there's some kind of cool leader, that says, hey, if you want to be cool, you know, you got to get a stick and poke and and know how to, <laughs> at one point, that's what was cool, right? You have to get a stick and poke and, and know how to uh, shotgun a beer and have a really funky Instagram that shows that you don't care, but you're always out, you know, it's like, and then that was a form of worth. And then, hey, now that you're in these kind of ins- influencer crowds, you know, you better dress really well and have a certain body weight and, you know, a certain follower count. You know, there's like, as we go through life, there's always new forms of worth, right? Or when I went to the museum, it's like, you know, you better be wearing those lavender socks with strappy sandals. Like, <laughs> you know, you better look the part, you know, there's just so many forms of value and importance that we deal with in every single frame of our lives no matter what you know you can feel it even in a cafe setting you know it's like there's always and I just to me what really grounds me in that is it's definitely something to constantly question and break out from so you can feel that continuous freedom and flow and not get stuck in any illusions but it's also based I think in a primal urge to fit in the primal urge to fit in comes from a need to be liked so that resources are shared with you. But we don't really live like that anymore, you guys. We're all in our own little apartments with strict boundaries. <laughs> you know, we're not relying on everyone else in the coffee shop to give us a piece of the antelope. So remember that when you feel um, this need from belonging, something that helps me really feel free when I think about a need for belonging, whether it's a party setting or just like a bigger setting, you know, like your workplace you go to every day or some kind of social scene you want to be part of. Um, Remember that that kind of urge to fit in is ancient (laughs) and it comes from something that isn't really there anymore. You know what I mean? Is the beer guzzling music scene going to share a feast with you? No. You know, so how do we access those experiences just as they are, just experiences, just worlds? Um, I want to get into that a little more, which I did write down, um, because I had someone actually ask me in a live recently. They were like, I've just been offered, um, I've just been offered something that could give me a lot of fame and money. (laughs) And they were like, I don't know what to do and like how to hold that offering. And I was like, here's the thing about fame and glory. Here's the thing about fame and money. Um, is you have to have a perspective on it, which is my whole life, the world has told me that being famous, being recognized, and having a lot of money are signs of worth, right? So that means that if I get those things, I have a choice. I either believe in the story and say, wow, now I'm worthy. I got the thing that everyone says makes me worthy. Or you stay grounded in your reality that you're worthy no matter what, that worth isn't really a reliable construct anyways. Nobody holds the value to who you are because you are a free spirit. (laughs) You are a, a spirit 
free 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 will right you were a spirit with free will free will is debatable once again um but you either take that and say wow now i'm worthy and get attached to that attached to the archetype of fame and money and glory being what makes you worthy and in that attachment you lose yourself because you want to maintain that feeling of fame and glory and you know that's why people you know we hear about celebrities overdosing at 35 and going into rehab and dying early um but the way to really treat moments of fame and glory is it's just another experience. As long as fame, attention, likes, follows, whatever doesn't become an attachment for you, you are still free. You are allowed to prefer the nice hotel and feel pampered at the spa, but knowing well that these things get old too, have their own system to them, and that you are simply passing through the world. Whether that's a taco truck in the ghetto part of LA or some rooftop spa in Dubai, you are just experiencing different worlds and both are valid. Think of it like when you play a video game. When you find yourself on the rooftop spa in a video game, do you think to yourself, wow, I must be so worthy and great. I hope I can maintain this forever. I want to feel special like this forever. No, you're like, damn, let's see all the art and little objects in here. Maybe some character will hand me a bag of magic beans. Maybe there's a clue somewhere here. Maybe there's a, a secret Easter egg on this level. I don't know. Cool. Let's see what happens. Same with the taco truck location. When you're in like a video game, right? You go to some like beat up taco truck in the street and it's like maybe the taco truck attendant's going to give you some words of advice that take you to the next level or maybe there's a secret portal in the video game like that's literally how life is and it's when people put so much worth into things that they've been told are worthy which half the time are very empty i've been in many upscale situations that were empty of spirit because they look the part and sold the part and had the price tag of the part but weren't special right and i've been in like rundown hole in the wall fucking restaurants and like felt the presence of God. You know what I mean? And it's like, we miss these beautiful things when we believe in the value system that we've been given. You know what I mean? So in order to be grounded in a moment of fame or glory or advancement is to say, wow, cool. I'm opening a door to another world and we'll see what I'll find. You know, not, oh, I opened the, the, the golden gilded door to the world that I was told was the best and now I'm the best. And I'm No, you're just passing through, man. The same way that an heiress could be in that world for doing nothing. You know, the same way that someone could win the lotto and be in that world. It's like, it's just a place to pass through. It's another room in the world of life. <laughs> and it's so much fun. I love, I love being in a fucking fancy situation. You know what I mean? Love it. Right? I love being at the fucking taco truck. I love sitting at the corner of the street. I love talking to my neighbors. I love making friends with anyone. You know, I love all the things, right? And that is part of, I think, the free feeling. And I've been saying this also about socializing too, is like how to feel free in your social interactions is like getting rid of that autopilot self that says, I need to impress this person. This person needs to have a benefit to me. I need to figure out the reason we are talking. And it's like, no, your job on this earth is to be who you are. Always have intentions, always have places you want to go, but don't be so damn rigid about worth and value, whether it's your own or other people's that you miss the message and the joy of it and the freedom you can feel just living this way. You know what I mean? Um, I think a huge part of freedom, the one of maybe the biggest tenants, <laughs> tenants, tenants of it, tenants, tenants, <laughs> T-N-E-T-S, um, is just having a value for experience, valuing experience. Because if you value experience, you already won. Bad or good, bad experience, good experience, you know, breakup, 
bad experience, but still an experience, right? <laughs> at least you went out there. At least you did it. At least you freaking weren't just holed up in your apartment with like a video game strapped to your head. Like that's how I feel. Anytime I do anything, whether I get a bad result or a good result, I'm like, at least I was fucking out there. And I felt that way since I was a teen. I think a lot of us had that feeling when we were a teen. When I was a teenager, I just want to be outside all the time because it was the first time where I was allowed to kind of be alone and see the world and perceive it on my own without a parent. And I just was like, man, this is exciting, man. I was like the way I would feel like getting on the blue bus alone. I'd be like, holy shit. I was excited about everything. Homeless people, you know, I can't tell you how many times like I was next to a crackhead on the bus and like glorified it as some uh, divine experience because it was just weird and new. And, you know, I feel like being so positive about it saved me from (laughs) what could have gone bad. But yeah, I can't tell you how many times some like fucking old dude leaning over 14 year old me showing me his crackhead art and me being like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, look at this nomadic wizard, you know, not knowing shit, you know, but it's like, that's what it is, is like, the percentage that that also like shows us you know perspective right that kind of situation would be hell for the average adult I probably wouldn't really be down with that now knowing how crazy those guys can get (laughs) but when I was a kid my perspective was like damn this is a this man is a free nomadic spirit making art I love it I'm inspired you know it's like another reason we can't (laughs) rely on perspective of other people which I'll get into also in this episode um I also there's something I forgot to say that I wanted to say because I was saying that my mother always valued health and I also wanted to point out that you also can't be attached to health because here's the thing is health is something that we um we also put an insane amount of value on which I think is a good thing because we all want to feel good and we all want to share ways that we can feel better but while we're doing that, there are things that are just completely not in our control. There's certain DNA things. There's certain circumstances in life. There's little mistakes, unfortunate things that happen and that just strike us. And there's nothing we can do. And I think that one of the, the hardest things that I've been through and that I've seen other people go through is when you blame yourself for health ailments. Like that's one of the worst things you can do. And I think it keeps you out of that freedom. Um, And it kind of reminds me of, uh, there was this episode of Midnight Gospel and it was episode three and it was when he's interviewing that guy about magic. And I'll never forget there was something he said where that guy had gone to prison for like, I think it was like five years. Like it was kind of a sizable amount of time. And he was like, yeah, you know, like I was in prison and like that sucks. He was like, but I was really studying magic extremely hard and I was really spiritual and getting really into meditation. So in a weird way, I still felt like I was being myself in prison because I was still reading my books and like meditating. And he essentially was just like, okay, like let's do the shit I've been doing while in prison. Like obviously none of us want to be in prison. None of us want to be sick, but some things just fucking happen. And the way to still feel free and still be alive and still keep moving is to just have the perspective of that guy. Like, you know, it's like, He didn't sit there blaming himself and like dying to get out. I'm sure there was moments of that. But to be like, all right, this is where we are. It's an experience. And that's it. Another thing about health, which is, and to be out in the world, you know, the shit's bound to happen. And it's just like, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot blame ourselves for the things that go wrong with our bodies. You know, I love to compare my body to a car (laughs) and be like, you know, if you're driving your car and, someone rear ends it I mean it's like 
man, there's a dent in that car. It's going to have to get a surgery or something. But it's like, are you going to sit there and blame yourself that you just should have left three minutes earlier, three minutes later? We could all get micromanaging like that till our head falls off. Or we can say, hey, this life is a bumpy fucking ride. I might get an STD one day. I might get a weird rash that I can't figure out. I might get a weird cyst. I might break a bone. I might get have to have open heart surgery. My neighbor had open heart surgery at 26. You know, like shit's going to happen. It happens every day, you know, but I think we fear what we fear the most is health problems always. Um, and that's definitely something to work on, right? Is to be like, it's not anyone's fucking fault, you know? Even if you stay inside your whole life doing everything perfectly, you can still have some weird shit creep up on you. Like none of us are, you know, anyways, that's kind of a tangent that maybe I needed to hear for myself. (laughs) But, um, I just want to point that out because I was like, my mom's value is health and family, but it's still important with every value. That's the thing too, is the quote still applies, still applies (laughs) the definition of never put your value in the hands of anyone or anything that includes family, that includes health that includes all the things that we just want to go so well because at the end of the day those things are still not in our hands you know what I mean um same with families so many people have bad relationships with their family and they think oh they'll finally be free if they solve that shit and it's like or maybe what maybe you're you know this time on earth bad family you know someone input the bad family code you know what are you gonna do (laughs) right try and transcend it be free of it you know might take a lot of work, might take therapy, all kinds of things, all types of little keys and locks, whatever. Um, but the worst thing you can do is say, oh, this is my, this is my master. You know what I mean? This person is in charge of my experience. Um, yeah. And even spirituality, I do think spirituality can go there. I think spirituality feels like a value system when it gets too meticulous. Like, religions can get kind of meticulous with the rules or even like manifestation coaches and people with really specific rules on how spirituality um, works when like when when a good and bad and success and failure system gets introduced I think that's when it's time to be like hey I'm kind of involved in a system Um, but when I think of spirituality transcending everything it's really kind of that unique relationship you have with God and the invisible, right? Which is always going to be a little different for everyone and transcend any system, to be honest, right? And systems, there's, that's the thing too, nothing wrong with systems, you know, like I would have loved to go to art school. I, I love experiencing a religion. I love, um, you know, systems can be great. They appeal to the body so much. Um, yeah, but the point is there's nothing wrong with anything unless, you're attached to it and it has you in the palm of its fucking hand. (laughs) That is all. Um, great. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of spun out somewhere else, but I really meant that really wanted to share that. I just think health, especially as we get older and I guess in the next month where I kind of want to focus on this like aging and dying theme, just something to think about, you know, it's like, how do we, you know, we can let go of, beauty standards and whatever because everyone else is talking about but what about our attachment to just being so perfectly well and blaming ourselves if we not you know like the way that wellness and health is marketing marketed toward towards us is like it's a hundred percent in our hands right like it's just also it's also variable and we just have to be so loving about it and just be care you know take care of ourselves unconditionally and and know that it's all unique and unfolding and that no one makes it out alive and a hundred percent well. And there's no 
freaking juice company on this world that can shame you into thinking that you can <laughs> somehow beat everything, you know? There's like some rich guy out there trying to live forever, you know? I hope he dies before me. No, I'm kidding. But I mean, I wonder how that's going to go, <laughs> you know? I'd love to see, the, see that narrative to the end. Um, I have a little segment on being free of the opinions of others. A lot of us struggle like, with this. And just like I was saying earlier about kind of social hierarchy value and being liked and stuff, I think it's the same thing with we're never not going to at least care a little bit about what people think. And I think, once again, it's a primal reason where in the old days, you know, if someone didn't like us, we wouldn't be invited to come eat or whatever, you know, like that's not real anymore. So be very grounded in that. You do not need to rely on people liking you. Um, of course, you know, you don't want to have enemies and piss people off, but most of us aren't doing that. Most of us, you know, it's like, I just feel like a lot of people here are just good, decent people who have some miscommunication sometimes, or you're sharing yourself and you're bound to get weird feedback, right? Opinions of others aren't reliable. One person thinks Lana Del Rey is a useless industry plant mega slut and another would die for her, owes their life to her, thinks she's the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, they have a whole group of friends that think about that. I mean, she has millions of fans that probably feel that way about her. Um, one person thinks Bella Hadid is the most beautiful woman to walk this earth. And another, another person genuinely thinks she looks like a malnourished alien. City folk think rural, rural folk are dumb hicks. And some rural folk think city folks are just dependable, overprogrammed loser babies. Yeah, I mean, this has been my experience. I remember being so um, kind of amused by the way that like people in like rural Hawaii and like all the farmers like truly look down on the city and not like in a fake way. Like, you know, you can tell when someone's like, oh, fuck those city people because they kind of wish they understood it. It was like genuinely they were like, man, I poof, a few minutes in that LAX airport like I'm done I just feel so cucked and like so fucking freaked out and like these are people their value systems really in their own freedom and they really love nature and they know what they like you know um and then some city people they're like damn like <laughs> you know don't give me one minute in the open road like I just feel like really freaked out like you know it's 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 some people hate nature <laughs> you know they hate nature things um yeah. And so when you think about that and like when you really zoom out and I always think what helps me when, especially when I share things online as like a person who's like putting work out there, I'm always like, you know, yeah, it sucks when someone doesn't get it or, you know, thinks you're annoying or something. But I'm like some of my biggest idols get that same flack. And if someone like Lana Del Rey or Jodorowsky or Clarice Lispector, you know, has negative reviews about something they made that I think really defined my life and is a masterpiece, like none of us can win. <laughs> you know what I mean? None of us can win. And there's some freedom in that. It's not bad news. It's good news because it's like, hey, it literally doesn't exist. So why would I even crave it or obsess over it or be attached to it or feel like a loser when I don't get it when it doesn't exist? You know, and I think that's with a lot of... um value you know just like my sort of main thesis of this episode being never put your value in the hands of anyone or anything else is that value is a made-up thing you know what I mean like value is something that someone decides usually in a position of power without the um negotiation of everyone involved and you know it's like something that we just have to deal with but like spiritually transcendentally energetically it's not real and so the opinions of people as well like deciding what has value and what doesn't it also doesn't exist, you know, so we're over here. So, you know, biting our nails about 
what people think about us and if we're good enough to put our work online and if oh my god you know if someone's gonna get it or if they're gonna think we're like it's super indulgent and sufferable whatever and it's like yeah they probably will they probably will they'll probably just say it but that's all it's gonna be is some words and opinion you know and with opinions opinions can be very helpful when they are given in your best interest as a form of feedback right i actually had this conversation recently with daniel actually where i was like you know, there's people who just want to talk shit to you and who don't know what they're talking about or feel triggered by you and they throw out an opinion. And there's people who genuinely have your best interests. And these are usually going to be people that you know, respect you and want you to do well. And they'll give you feedback that isn't about shaking you up or dominating you. It's about like, hey, like, I really think you have the potential to like, do better, you know, and they give you feedback. So it's like, look for that kind of feedback. But when it comes to just opinions flowing around, it's like, everyone has one they're constantly changing but when people says 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 something they say like it's so true and we do that to ourselves too self-opinion you know self-opinion is so strong such a big aspect of freedom as well I think is really checking your (laughs) self-opinion and your self-perception in every moment and I talked about this recently with um I don't remember what episode it was but it was around a similar theme of like flow state and like keeping moving And I was talking about how I have the plateau and mountain analogy and like quick summary of that that I bring up a lot is just I feel like in life you're either on a plateau or a mountain. The plateau is when everything is flat and nothing's really happening. Nothing's demanding your attention. And this is usually a time in life where you can kind of relax, see more friends, take yourself out to dinner, just kind of vibe. But there's nothing in your life that's making you feel important. And most of us, when we hit a plateau, especially if we've had some mountains recently, um, we think, oh my God, I fucked up. I'm a loser right now. Nobody wants to work with me. I'm not in demand. Nothing's going on. Like, oh no, what do I do? Instead of just enjoying that moment of calm, because a mountain will always come. And a mountain, once again, isn't necessarily a good thing. It could be, you know, a sick family member or a new illness or, you know, some kind of issue in your home, like just something that is demanding your attention it could also be a great thing right like a promotion or a new project that you want to do but it's going to take up a lot of time but a mountain is just hey like this is such a big force in your life that you have to think about and handle that you don't even feel comfortable just shooting the shit with someone for hours or reading poetry like in a park you know what I mean and it's like so it took me a long time to realize that like when the plateaus come my first instinct when a plateau arrives is what did I do wrong like uh, why aren't things as active? Why isn't life telling me that I'm like important and busy right now? And then I would get sad and try to find the solution. But now when I get a plateau, which I learned because the experience of getting the book out was probably the longest mountain I've been on where day after day, week after week, month after month, I never had a moment where I felt able to just chill made me miss the hell out of the plateau. I was like, man, where's that energy where I could just take a a book and a blanket to the grass and like just enjoy conversation with somebody because I was constantly thinking about this project. And yeah, I will never hate on the plateau now. And I find myself, usually my instinct is to have that feeling like, oh, I don't feel important right now. Or, you know, I, um, I, you know, yeah, nothing's going on. What did I do wrong? And then you quicker than ever now, I can be like, no, we're on the plateau go hang out with some friends, go do some maintenance stuff, clean your house, do the laundry, like just chill. And when the mountain comes, you're going to miss this, you know? And I mentioned that in like a, an episode about flow state and freedom because I've had experience where so viscerally I'm on the couch being like, fuck, like 
I'm fucking up. Things aren't happening. But then all I have to do is switch the perception of, oh, I'm on the plateau. Let's go chill. Let's, you know, do a quick road trip this weekend. I don't know. Like, it's just a, you have to realize where you're at and what to do with it. And what role you're invited to play, like, just in that environment. Um, the plane is passing. And another thing that that brings up for me with the aspect of what role you're in, whether it's like plateau or mountain and then complementing it instead of fighting it, um, that also brings up value and worth, right? Because so much of our value and worth is in our self-importance. Like, oh, I'm being demanded. I'm, I'm being wanted. There's a project for me. I'm so busy. You know, that's another form of feeling like self-worth to the ego as well that we can transcend. But um, it just brings up this topic that I shared in a caption once and people really liked which was, I kind of want to find the exact, it was kind of far back, but basically it just said like knowing what role people play in your life can save a lot of heartache and just how sometimes we can expect too much out of a brunch friend or, you know, and I wrote maybe that person who replies to your stories with hearts and isn't your future husband. They're just your attention dispenser in your phone. Or maybe that brunch friend isn't who you're going to call when you're in a family crisis, but they are who you call when you have something to celebrate and you just want to go to the nice new restaurant in town, you know? But just knowing that is all you need to save a lot of suffering and heartache because a lot of us will find ourselves, you know, projecting onto that person that can't give what they can't give and never even said they would. You know what I mean? That guy, that hot guy (laughs) who's always liking your stories and your photos and stuff, but never hangs out. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it's like he never said he was going to be your husband. You know, so far he's giving attention dispenser in your phone, reply guy. That's great, right? Post a hot pic, get that little bump, fine. Great. But that's what he does. Don't expect any more. And same with friends. You know, it's like we have that friend that doesn't have a lot of capacity for people, doesn't feel that connected to us in that way just kind of wants to catch up every few months. And it's like, when you know that, you know that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sounds great. Go have French toast. Delicious. Talk about life. Great. Don't see them for three months. Great. It's only bad when you expect more, you know. But we just have to know what people are capable of. Um, I guess that makes me feel free, (laughs) too, you know. Because that also brings the worth thing. I do think that, you know, if people don't give us what we think they're supposed to give us, which is another form of exchange, if you think about it, um, you know, Hey, I, I expect that guy to fall in love with me or want to date me, but all he's really doing is liking my photos. You know, it's like, you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, you're like, am I not worthy of what I want? Or the brunch friend, you're like, I really, am I not worthy of a deeper connection where they want to fall asleep on FaceTime with me? You know, and it's, it becomes a whole game. And I do think, yeah, I think that leads back to the thesis of this. Never put your value in the hands of anyone or anything else. Yeah fucking agree with that I'm just I'm very entertained by that sentence like it just came to me this morning because I just I think of the money like it just trips me out because I think of like the money and like bartering vibe of it and now I just think of like like so much of what we can kind of analyze in our lives comes down to the exchange portion of it like what are we trading like what are we paying for and like what's the incentive here it's also kind of interesting because in the Discord today, someone re- uh, requested a a um, a channel called Exchanges because we have a give and receive channel. And someone was like, oh, can we have an exchange channel? And I'm like, damn, I've been thinking about exchanges too. <laughs>
I wrote in big letters. A lot of my notes, they're funny because it's like me writing structure that'll like help me kind of um, remember like what I want to talk about. And then I'll have like a burst of like all caps writing. So here's an all caps writing burst. And I wrote, your perception is always your choice. What you extract from every situation is up to you. Life can be an ever unfolding adventure in different worlds and realms or a hell in which you are constantly wishing for something else that may not even exist. And kind of what I mean by that is we can wish for things like we can say, Oh, I'll be so happy when I get this and maybe we'll get the thing, but we're not happy. You know what I mean? It's like the future doesn't exist yet. Right. Have intentions like aim somewhere. But I think so much of us make the mistake and I've made that mistake many times of just kind of banking on something just because someone told me that it might be there, you know, or everyone being like, you know, you have to go to college to be anything in life. And like me taking the risk of not doing that and actually finding myself in a position that I'm really proud of, you know, it's like I could have drank that juice and I probably would have kind of delayed this process or maybe not even found it at all. You know, the future doesn't exist. Like the future of me being a loser, not going to college doesn't exist. Just like the future of me going to college and being a wonderful person doesn't exist. Like it doesn't exist, (laughs) you know, and the value system it's yeah, really something to think about. I also wrote this. I was this is another thing. Let me see if I can kind of take this home. When someone tells you, "Hey, you can only have happiness or worth or power if you do A, B, and C," or you will only be successful if you do A, B, and C, and you wholeheartedly believe them, you give yourself a single path. When you listen to your own callings, you see that there are a million possible paths, and that you have more of an intuition to decipher which one to take. So I get this vision in my head when I think about just everyone in my life that's tried to tell me what to do and been really frigid about, you know, passing trends or whatever. Um, Rigid, not frigid, I think. Um, And I just think of someone in a meadow and there's one path ahead of them, but only because they can't see the other ones. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like if someone sells you a path, it's like, that's all you're going to see. But the reality is like, there's a bunch of different ones and not to be cliche, but like your heart kind of leads you down some, you know? And once again, this isn't to say that all direction is wrong, you know, because just like how I was saying with the video game analogy of like ending up at some trippy taco truck truck (laughs) in downtown LA, you know, can be just as interesting and inspiring as, you know, being on some like rooftop spa in Dubai. Like it's just different worlds. It's the same thing with institutions, you know, like any institution, any path, like it has value and the only mistake you can make is just being way too rigid and contrived about what value is right but every single space every single space has a has something for us and freedom comes from just transcending the weight of it you know transcending the exchange of it transcending the you know and if you think about how money and exchange has dominated our consciousness like it's how we survive it's like a base root experience is money exchange how much things cost how much worth how much value and it's just like think of how much that is like the drumbeat of like how we go through life like you know what I mean like in in such a subconscious way too it's so easy for us to live this life of exchange when that's a purely societal invention you know what I mean like think of how you observe so many interactions you know especially in this city people are so um transactional and it's like well you can't blame them ever since you were a kid life was 
money you give me you give this and like there's a lot of transactional aspects of life in the universe I'm sure but you know think of how transcendent and free you feel when you're like oh that's kind of that might just be a society thing you know that might be like a you know I do think give and receive happens in a infinity symbol in the universe I think give and receive has some very spiritual qualities but when it comes to actual value naming and worth naming and kind of the way that money feels, that's when we can kind of be like, hey, how much is that system like telling me, like affecting, touching every part of my consciousness, you know? It's really something. I'm about to be all meta about it. But even putting your value in how free you feel is not free. You know what I mean? Like putting your value into how good you feel, how happy you feel, how free, how flowy you feel. Like I'm always aiming for that feeling because I love what it gives me. I enjoy the game of trying to get in flow. But part of being in flow too is just not beating yourself up when you're not. And then you'll find that it moves quicker. You know, that's a huge part of it. Huge part of it. It's also, you know, it's a um, stage of grief. One of the main stages of grief is bargaining. I think about that one a lot. That's like one of the proven stages of grief. It's like when you start um, bargaining in your head. So like an example of that, let's say like post breakup, you know, you're like angry at them, you go through that stuff and then you start getting into the stage where you start being like, well, what if I said this to them? What if I showed up to their house? What if I did this, this and this? And you start kind of trying to calculate all of the different combinations and what results they could possibly give you, you know, and you start kind of being like, you know getting really strategic for a second um and I think of just how much bargaining we do and bargaining that's another very worth societal kind of worth value money trade kind of realm word you know it's like how much do we bargain with ourselves when we kind of just need to flow through it you know when you're having a bad week or a lazy week you know and you start being like if I could just do a b and c then I would be better and it's like sometimes you just got to feel it you know a stage of grief bargaining that's kind of hitting right now because I'm thinking of all the times that I find myself bargaining outside of obvious grief situations, you know, because like the obvious grief situations are like heartbreak and death, you know, but it's like, how do you start bargaining with yourself on a bad fucking day in a minor disagreement, you know, interesting. All right. Well, I feel pretty complete on this. Um... Yeah, let me think for a second. I guess I would just say in conclusion, like, once again, how to be free, never put your value in the hands of anyone or anything else. And, but have values, you know what I mean? Like, have your own set of values, whether that's, you know, cotton linen above all else or, you know, family first, whatever it is that appeals to you. It's like, find that for yourself. And as long as it's for you and you mean it and that's your little thing and it fills you with joy and love, like that's your value, you know, and that'll take you everywhere. That's real. That's another cliche that has power, you know, where it's like your values. What are your values? What do you value? Yeah. And it's up to you. There's slang and value all day out there trying to get everyone to buy value on every corner when it's all up to us. (laughs) They're trying to make us bump micro cut. They're trying to make us, um, they're giving us cut value that's cut with different chemicals just to give us a, a value high real quick. But we know what our, our deep-seated values are if we just listen to ourselves, you know. And that is freedom, you know. 
freedom, 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 freedom to think for yourself, to be yourself, to love yourself without an invitation or exchange. I think that's what I want to say. The last thing I want to say, which is a really big thing that I feel about love and that I've talked on these podcasts a lot about, which is how love is presented as something that we need to be given permission to get. Like, hey, you're loved if you have a loving parent. Hey, you're loved if someone's dating you. Hey, you're loved if, like, your TikTok pops off and a bunch of people like it. Like, you're loved if you're allowed to feel love when someone gives it to you or or says that you're allowed to have it, when in reality, love is just the energy, the power, the dominant force in life that we can access anywhere. And it's not even, even self-love, you know, self-love is sold in this way that's like, hey, look in the mirror and like what you see or you know, sit there and contemplate all your favorite things about yourself, then you'll get self-love. And it's like, no, you don't even have to like yourself to feel love because it is the energy that charges all things. You know what I mean? So you can just sit there and feel love. (laughs) You know, it can just be generated randomly. And you'll find when you observe this that like the sensations you've had when someone deeply loves you in a relationship is no different than those highs you get when you live alone And you just feel love for just existing in the world and what's happened to you, you know? Um, But all that to say is that that's another kind of way that our, like, exchange value worth, like, money brains mix it up. Where it's, like, self-love is not liking what you see in the mirror. It's feeling love without feeling like you need to ask for permission or get permission from anyone. You know, you don't have to exchange something to get it back. Like, it's just there, you know? And that's how I feel about freedom. It's just there. Freedom. Transcendence. Flow state. God. In every color, there's the light. In every stone, sleeps a crystal. Remember the shame when he used to say, Man is the dream.